Welcome to the Rough Draft Podcast. My name is Olivia, I'm your host, and today our topic is philosophy in literature. Um, my co-host for today is Tara, um, and our guest for today is Dr. Kraft, uh, faculty at York College of Pennsylvania. Thanks for coming on today. Sure, glad to be here. All right, so let's just go in. So, I guess our first question is, what made you get into philosophy? So, it's a really weird answer, honestly. Uh, (laughs) A a million years ago, when I was in high school, I was convinced I was going to go into business, and I was going to, uh, you know, make scads of money and, and do all the things that fabulously wealthy people do. And so I was a high school kid that was reading Forbes and Fortune. And uh, my senior year in high school, the Fortune 500 had a cool little sidebar on like fun things you never knew. And it, one of the things on the sidebar was that it's either like a third or 40% of the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies had backgrounds in philosophy. And I said, well, that's the secret back door. So I started taking philosophy classes as an undergrad, I declared major, and um, then if you know Godfather 3, it's, it's kind of like that moment, like every time I thought I was out, they kept pulling me back in. <laughs> I, I did work in businesses uh, through my undergrad and my master's program, and uh, you know, I, I didn't get to own companies, but I did get to play with lots of money um, as I went through. So that's how I got to philosophy, was I thought it would make me lots of money. It, it hasn't worked out quite that well, but I am happy with where I am. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think um, you said starting that off, like, it's a weird answer. Like, I mean, we don't ask these questions for the simple answers. Like, the weird, <laughs> questions, the weird answers are what make the questions good. Um, all right, uh, going off that, in philosophy, what's the most ridiculous, like, philosophical theory you've heard? The most ridiculous theory? Well, so, I'm first trying to, like, get rid of all the ones that aren't really philosophical theories but just like 3am drunken dorm room ideas like what if we're just a dream and a turtle um so if if i said i never thought about it like that <laughs> if, if i set aside the 3am dorm room once um man uh it's probably going to be some version of of what is an anti-realism um uh, not the question of what is an anti-realist, but uh, so I mostly do ethics, but I, I do lots of stuff. And um, one of the things that, that I think just has to be the case or we need to shut down business is that uh, there is a real world. And so any version of a theory that starts out is like, well, maybe there's not really reality. It's all a simulation instead. I, it just kind of shuts down. Like it doesn't matter where they come from there. I, I do think there are interesting things we can learn if we think about simulations. Um, but if you start out your theory by this isn't real world, this is something else, you're you're done. Um, if you could meet any philosopher, who would it be? Living or dead. Living or dead. Um, wow. probably go with Aristotle. Um, Aristotle is a, a fascinating guy. He's a great systematizer. So for when, when I'm working with his texts with students and, and uh, 
going through things saying like look if, if you get lost just make a chart because he's always like this thing comes in two varieties a and b and variety a has exactly three subtypes one two three like yeah. as you go through and uh so he had just this massive ability to look at everything around him and conceptualize it and schematize it and put it into order um so i think it'd be fascinating to actually have that experience with him the other reason why I'd say Aristotle is that what we have for him are his students' lecture notes, and they are dry as all get out. Um, but I just have to think, like, if his students saved all of these notes the to go content. through, like, like yeah. the, the content, like, he must have been an amazing person to talk to, that people were like, yeah, I'm going to keep down what he was saying, because that just... Otherwise, it's just really strange. So um, I'd probably say him for for that reason of of dead guys. Um, Palafier would be up there too. Uh, he was a South American philosopher that focused on learning. That would be up there, um, and you know, probably I, I go I'm going ancient for some reason. I don't know why, but Hypatia would be awesome too. Um, so she, uh, Roman citizen based in Northern Egypt, um, at the time that the Roman empire was switching over to Christianity and, uh, she was essentially killed for being a woman doing philosophy by the Christian mob. Like, be pretty cool to talk to her. Yeah. Um, she did have a, a very brief guest appearance on the closing episodes of The Good Place, so, uh, I still need to get into the <laughs> good place. Um, I was like, wow, I wonder if that name's going to come back around now some more. Okay, speaking of media and, you know, uh, um, obviously literature, but other, other forms of media like, like The Good Place, do you think it's possible for a piece of media to exist without having some inherent philosophy? Do you think it's possible for any piece of media to be inherently a-philosophical? Easy answer is no. Um, I, I think that any time that you have an artist, whether it's a, a writer, a filmmaker, a sculptor, um, producing something intentionally as artwork, they are expressing a thought about the world. Uh, whether it's the world they want to be, the world they want to have not be, reflections on the world. I, I think they're doing that already um so in the the lowercase sense of philosophy it, it has to be there in the uppercase sense and, and by that i mean like the disciplinary kind of intentionally infusing it um i think tons of tons of artwork um and again i'm using that that term broadly to to include literature film visual arts drama um i think they unintentionally are drawing on philosophical concepts that selfishly if they studied philosophy a little bit better their artwork would be better off for having more refined what's what's going through um but yeah i, th I think any any short story any poem any short film um Really, even like those crazy caricatures that people get when they're at the beach, like I don't even know what they cost, like 
ten dollars. I, I don't know. Like you know, let me draw a character. Like there's something about the way that even in those caricatures, the way that they're capturing what's important, what isn't important, and those kind of things pull back to philosophical ideas. Um, I I do think that a lot of artists aren't informed on the conversation that's going on. Um, some are, and it just works out in different ways. Uh, so going off that sort of follow-up question, do you think that uh, um, the process of making art itself is inherently a philosophical statement? The process of... I, I think so, because it, it's a process of... Well, I guess it depends on which process you use. So if I, I think of like the traditional sense of... Uh, of an author who who's wanting to produce work there um so people will say like and then the muse hit me but often it's it's hard work like you've said i'm gonna write this thing and and go through um there's the idea and how that idea comes to you that's that's a separate question but then the refining of the idea and figuring out how you're going to explore that i think that plays out in in different ways so you get some authors where the idea is foremost and then the characters and the plot follow from it and other times it's the the characters just speak to them as they're typing away at their smith corona and mm-hmm. they're they're going along and then in the in going through that you see the characters and the plot reflecting the understanding of of the the theme the idea that's going through i'm, I'm meaning theme somewhat sarcastically in italics as it's going through um you know in ways that my middle school english teacher would hate uh but i i think that yeah that the process of creating and editing um is is a philosophical process because it's reflecting on what you want and it's refining the message and figuring out what's happening and and whether that's figuring out that you're going to do a a scene in a, a short piece um, using only dialogue to express what's going on or whether it's the, you're painting a painting and, and you've decided I really want it to be apparent that I painted this whole thing without the color yellow. Um, I, there's editing and intentionality that goes in there. Absolutely, yeah. Um, next question. Uh, what is your favorite pointless debate? Like sandwiches versus hot dogs or anything else? Uh, it's Actually, I have a, a grad school friend who's published on if a hot dog is a sandwich or not. What's, what's, the, what's the take there? What, like, I, he says it's definitely a sandwich. Um, uh, <laughs> so the point, I mean, the, there's ones that are just very parallel to that, like is... Uh, is cereal just soup um, that that goes through? Um, I think I think the the underlying question there is: Does that make milk broth? Yeah. Um, I don't like thinking about that. Yeah. And I think no. Well, you know, I, I think about all those clam chowders, and it's it's in a milk broth. <laughs> That's um, true, but the milk itself isn't the broth. It's right, milk it, and broth. Yeah. Um, so set, setting aside that sort of level, it. it in some way, it's it's unfair because actually Descartes did this and he did it so well when he did it, but it 
it turns into, and I always make fun of them in class too, like, so I, and I already mentioned it too, the 3 a.m. dorm room conversations. It's like my epitome of people thinking like, I just had this great idea. Um, I, I think there's something about the, what if this is just a dream that that conversation 99% of the time is not going to get anywhere? Um, I will say, unless you've read Descartes, and then it can get somewhere really interesting. Um, but most of the time, I think that's pointless, because one, once you go down that path at three in the morning with your Doritos, um, it's like, well, what if you're just dreaming that you're feeling the pinch? And, you know, like it just it keeps that... Uh, there's no like logical sort of like... Yeah, I mean, there, there's yeah. ways to answer it, but I think that rarely happens. Most of the time when it comes up, it comes up in in uh, what we call just like a, na- a naive sense. Um, it's fun, and it's a, a great thing to talk about when you're really overtired. Um, but I think because you're really thinking you want to be dreaming at that point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's 3 a.m. Yeah. yeah. Um, last question. Um, what do you think could be done to get more people into studying or uh, being interested in philosophy, in in a you know in more of a conscious sense? Yeah, so I I think about that a lot, honestly. Um, I think part of it is uh, there's a cultural shift that needs to happen. There has already been a shift where we think more about study as being for the purpose of. So whether it's someone goes to college and they're studying a field for the purpose of entering that field, or they're, you know, I, I think of people I know that are amateur Civil War historians, and they, they read up on the Civil War for the purpose of being able to go to a battlefield and understand what, what's going on there. And so larger cultural sense, I think, we need to get back to where it used to be that there's something inherently important about just studying for the sake of, for the purpose of studying itself. Um, Secondarily, you become a better human and a better citizen when you've thought through these things. Um, If you've taken a foreign language, if you've learned how to look at works of art, if you've learned how to read a poem, if you've learned how to do any of those things you end up on the other side being a better purpose a better person um but the purpose of it is just it should be fun to to do these things so that's the larger scale um at the the smaller more immediate scale uh honestly i think it's good classes and good teachers um in in my experience as a student and and as a teacher the most important thing that can happen for someone to get excited about any of the fields in the humanities is exposure to someone who's really good at teaching it because then it's not um, really boring and pointless. So whether it's someone who's really good at, at showing you why Spanish is exciting and it's not just conjugating in the present tense, oh, os, ah, amos, os, on, like to... Um, Later today in class, we're going to be talking about Freud's understanding of daydreaming and creative writing, like the ways in which to make it interesting for students. I think let students see that this is worthwhile and worth doing 
because I like it and the job will follow afterwards. Um, so maybe that ties it back together there. All right. Um, I, real last question. What's your favorite food? My favorite food. I have a soft spot for barbecue. Um, and I don't get it all that often because there's not great barbecue in York, but I have a soft spot for yeah, it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I was born in Dallas, Texas, so yeah. I there's no good barbecue in York. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, growing up in in Phoenix, uh, I've I've given up on Mexican food. I just make it myself. Um, yeah, my grandma is from New Mexico. Yeah, uh, she makes it herself too. Yeah. So, yeah, some good barbecue. Nice big glass of lemonade. Absolutely, one hundred. This is the most I've ever agreed with you in this room. <laughs> <laughs> like I've been agreeing with you, but this is the most I've agreed with you. Um, well, thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure to have you. I'm here with our second guest of the episode, uh, Bella Gilbert. Hi, happy to be here. Um, Bella is one of the. She's on the e board of uh, the philosophy club here That's at right. New College. Mm-hmm. Um, Thanks for coming by. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. So we're going to start with a pretty simple one. What's your favorite food? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm going to have to say avocados. Okay. Hard answer there. Avocados. No, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, not my thing, but I respect it. Not your um, thing? No, not really. Why is that? I, this is the I texture. A lot it. of people are like, it's the I, texture. Yeah, I just but... never got into it. Um, all right, so now getting into the, you know, the actual topic of the episode. Um, what made you get into philosophy in the first place? Oh, that's a really great question, and I actually can, uh, you know, bring in my bring in Dr. Kraft into my response here. Um, so, essentially, I I didn't know that I wanted to get into philosophy um, when I originally chose this major. Uh, I actually came in considering going into engineering because um, I've I've always been good at math, um, and so I thought like, oh, I should probably just like get started engineering, like just in case I wanted to do it, because that's not something you can add in too late, because um, you'd be. Um, yeah, pretty stuck behind with that. Um, and so I I started out, exactly. Yeah. I started out as an engineering major. Uh, and so then my second semester as a freshman, uh, I had to take engineering philosophy just as a gen ed course. Um, and like, I was just, I was just doing it because, well, I had attended philosophy club before and they were like, you should totally take this, uh, intro class with Dr. Kraft. And I was like, you know what? Sure. Why not? Because I have to take a, um, gen ed for that, for that, um, topic anyway. So I did. And so I just remember like being in that class and I kind of just sat in the back and like I minded my own business. Um, And so like I've always had this issue like primarily like in high school. I don't have it so much anymore, but I used to have this issue where like I always felt like isolated in my own thoughts in so far that the thoughts that I had, I never had the means or the tools uh, necessary to like express them to other people. And so like all of the ideas that I ever had, like they were all just like swimming in my head and like I never was able to get them out to anybody. Uh, and then it's also like a thing of like just teenagers in general, like people don't necessarily, or at least adults generally, like they don't, they don't really care what a 16 year old with a chip on her shoulder has to say, you know right, what I yeah. mean? Yeah. So uh, coming like that's, that's, that's always been something that had bothered me for such a long time. Uh, but I just remember like one fateful day in philosophy club. Um, like Dr. Kraft was like, he was posing a question. I don't remember what the question was. I don't remember what the topic was, but he does this thing where he just like goes up to his students and he just says like, so what do you think about this? Um, and so like, I, I gave him my response and like, it, it came out the way that like, um, 
like it, it had always come out like as a teenager trying to speak my thoughts like it came out like half-baked and it didn't make much sense and so kind I kind of like exactly yeah. and it sounded like kind of like choked and like it didn't like it 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 was like strangled for me to get it out and so I kind of like cut myself off short and I was just like and yeah like it's just like I kind of like cut it off like that um and so I just remember Dr. Kraft he like took a beat and he was like okay so what you're saying is like blah 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 and so he reiterated what I had said and then he like thought about it for a second he was just like that's really cool and it was like that was just like a transformative experience yeah, for me because I'm like totally new. exactly like not only a was I asked what my opinion was B my opinion was listened to and then C uh it was like reframed and then somebody else said like wow that's actually a really neat idea like that was it and then it was like it clicked and then yeah, like have, within the next two weeks I was like well I'm a major now yeah having your thoughts like validated exactly like that, yeah like, understood exactly yeah, no, totally. yeah it's just the the feeling of being able to like share your ideas with other people um you know the people who are actually interested in hearing what you have to say and then hearing their ideas in response um that's just not something that I really realized that that's what philosophy was all about if you could meet any philosopher living or dead who would it be Dennett? Dennett, that's it. Daniel Dennett. Dennett. Yes, yeah. No, I've read like a couple of works from him, and I just think that his ideas are super interesting because he pulls a lot from like biology, like in talking about like the um, like the nature of our identities um, and like what it means for us to be ourselves. And he actually like really pulls from like our our like what it means for us to be just like a biological human being. Um, and then sort of like understanding like what the boundaries of the self are in that, that sort of way. I think that Donna Haraway would also be pretty interesting to meet. Um, and also, I also say Sherry Turkle. All right. Uh, sort of follow up to that question, just cause I'm curious. Uh, let's say, you know, you're hanging out with this, you know, living or dead, uh, philosopher and they're okay. like, Hey, I'm hungry. What current like restaurant do you take a philosopher to in new york pennsylvania oh god uh, <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i'm i'm just kind of obsessed with the idea because like uh, uh i think craft said aristotle and i thought okay. uh no uh, i'm just like i think it's a super funny idea of just like uh, um craft said aristotle okay and so i was like what if you just like took aristotle to a red robber i really i do like that idea of just like grabbing somebody from like the friggin 400s and they're being like let's go to like panera bread that's half the fun of like you know bill and ted and all that yeah all right um moving on okay big one okay do you think it's possible for a piece of media you know a book a tv show a movie to exist without some inherent philosophy to it um i'm gonna say yes but I'm going to say that, I don't know, because I think that it's, it's a, it's a, I don't know how I'm supposed to try to frame this here, but in like, in, in one of the classes that um, I'm in right now, we're discussing like the issue of like pornography and like talking about like pornography in like, like literature or like in like just on the internet or anything like that. And sort of saying how it's like that doesn't necessarily have any philosophical or intrinsic political artistic value or anything like that. But there's still like literature out there that like has that kind of stuff with it. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I feel like that kind of literature might exist, but I think that it's, it's like, it's those extreme cases. It's something like, um, it's very rare. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't think that by and large, like most of the things that we create, most of the things that we create are not for, something without literary, um, philosophical, political, or artistic value. I think that um, when humans create, I think that by and large, it's 
for those reasons. But I would say that I guess there there might be there might be some instance outside um, where we don't we don't make it for those purposes. But I I don't know that that's that's really what we um, uphold literature for. So. All right. Um, pulling it back a little from a serious topic. Uh, what's your favorite one of those pointless debates? Pointless you know, debate. the ones that uh, uh, people argue about. Obviously, the example that I know you and I have talked about is uh, hot dogs. Oh yes, oh, the uh, sandwich. But right. like, there's a bunch of examples of those. What's your favorite? Um, mm, I'm not sure that I necessarily have like a like a favorite. There are a bunch that we like to draw on, like in philosophy club. Um, like our our opening meeting, it was like if you took a bagel and instead of like slicing it like long ways, you like slice it in half vertically and then you mush them together so it's like you've got like two crescent moon shapes of the bagel and then you squish them together and there's filling on the inside of that uh talking about whether or not that was a sandwich or not but it's <laughs> i think that a lot of the silly things that people like to like say or philosophical debates are just like discussions about like definition and saying like what's a sandwich what is soup and then saying is the ocean a soup like stuff like that yeah, and it's just, just pointing out the broad spectrum of, ex hey humans aren't exactly that great at defining things yes which, yeah yeah which is this that's I mean, the philosophical concept but you can just like apply that broadly and say you can yeah. find that out just by talking to a biology student yeah <laughs> like, right yeah like did you know okay Okay. So this is something that I found out recently, but it, it goes into that sort of like topic of classification. Uh-huh. Um, if you call crocodiles lizards, you have to call <laughs> birds lizards too. What? Because like with the way that evolution works, um, crocodiles have a more recent common ancestor with birds than they do with like turtles. Oh, like kind of like how they say how like dinosaurs were like birds yeah, you know no, what I mean? like, like the t-rex with the little came, arms yeah. and it's actually they're like wings like, all, yeah. all of those came down from dinosaurs yeah based okay. on how recent the splits are you have this long line down to birds oh, and then cool. crocodiles <laughs> lizards like so like but but for some reason for some arbitrary reason we consider crocodiles lizards and we don't consider birds lizards Right, though they're right. more closely related than the Listen, others. I would be down to call birds lizards. I think that, that no, would I would just, too. Like, <laughs> I think like, it would just raise don't... chaos, and I think it's um, also a wonderful concept. If you look at a picture of a rabbit and you look at a picture of a hare, uh -huh. they look almost identical. Oh and yeah, and they are like wildly. Different. Yeah, I do remember hearing yeah. about that. Yeah. So like classification is always absolutely yeah. That's um, definitely something that I think human beings were just we're prone to try to find classifications and definitions for our world and yeah. we don't do a very good job at it and then when we point it out it's really it's silly being like oh birds are dinosaurs now <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah and we want definitions that can like be applied quickly so we do it on like surface level traits yeah, yeah. so like you know we're, we're tempted to call a rabbit and a hare similar yeah. but looking deeper they're not right um last sort of major question okay uh what do you think could be done to get more people into studying or being interested in philosophy um I would say just like just just try a couple classes and then just see how you feel with it because it's that's like I said that's what did it for me and it was just like instantaneous like it, it clicked and it's like the, the clouds parted and then the sunlight shone and the angels were singing their courses like it's it's you you can get that feeling when you actually feel like your thoughts are validated and like not only like your thoughts that you're having are validated but you're actually able to understand thoughts of the like other people around you and like your reading skills develop and like your um, your understanding of verbal arguments, like they develop as well, and like you're you're able to understand so much more um, than you thought was possible if you're actually like willing to sit down and pay attention to um, like underlying arguments and stuff like that. So, 
I would definitely just say like to anybody who's interested in doing it just to take a class or two um, maybe adopt a minor if you're feeling ambitious for it because I, I really do think it's um, worthwhile all right um, and then the last question what's your all-time favorite movie oh Olivia I don't watch movies <laughs> <laughs> it's okay I don't I don't really either <laughs> no, but that's a valid answer yeah. like like what's your favorite movie I don't have one done that's that's easy enough I like I like Toby Maguire in Pleasantville that's fair. Yeah. That, that, that's that's I think fair. that's a really cute movie I like to watch. But, like, I don't think it's, like, end-all be-all, because I really don't, I don't, I've yeah. never even seen Star Wars or Harry Potter. Hey, listen, I... listen, you're not, I'm going to be real, and I'm going to make some people on the Orc Review staff oh, okay. mad right now. Right. Uh, you are not missing much. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what I've been told. told. I've already been um, told that that's last year. Alyssa's going to rip my head off, but you're not missing much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, well, thanks for coming on. It was a pleasure to have you. Okay. All right. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to that episode of the Rough Draft Podcast. If you liked it, give it a like, follow us on Spotify or SoundCloud or any other places your podcasts are sold. We're working on getting ourselves onto many more platforms. Um, Thank you so much to Bella Gilbert and Dr. Kraft for coming on. Our next episode comes out in two weeks on the 11th of March, and we'll be discussing women in literature with uh, two professors from the York College of Pennsylvania in honor of the centennial anniversary of the 19th Amendment. So stay tuned. Bye-bye.